It's a joy to be with you this morning, and I'll direct your attention to John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. You might notice in your bulletin it says uh, 53, but if you have a copy of the scriptures, go ahead and turn to verse 43. Hear now as the Lord speaks to you through his holy word. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his, his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do now come to you to draw near to your holy throne to hear from your voice. We ask that you would speak to us by your word and spirit. For we know, as Peter confessed long ago, that you have the words of eternal life. To where else shall we go? And so we do now draw near to our Savior, hoping that his word would dwell in us richly. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I spent most of my uh, high school years on a golf course and on uh, a high school golf team. Um, uh, one of the most uh, frustrating routines that we had as, uh, as a team for our golf practices is that we would have to go uh, to the putting green, the practice green, and set up four different tees around the hole, uh, about three feet away from the hole, and we would hit uh, these little short putts, uh, 25 of them in a row before we were able to move on to uh, practice or even go out and play uh, a round of golf for our time there. And, and it was frustrating to us because um, it was in that exercise that we found uh, something so mundane, uh, so meaningless, so useless uh, to us uh, that we couldn't understand or comprehend why our coach would make us uh, do this because we would rather you know, be on the driving range hitting uh, drives as far as we possibly could. Uh, but the reason why our, our coach had assigned this routine to us is that he wanted us to have a, a muscle memory, a, a second nature when we came to those short putts in tournaments. Uh, that we just tap them in with no uh, concern whatsoever. Because when you come under the nerves, if you've ever played golf, uh, and you have that short little putt, a three-foot putt can look like a 20-foot putt uh, when you're nervous. 
And the reason why I uh, tell you this is uh, not to bore you with golf, uh, but to connect uh, to you the purpose of John with his gospel. You know, in, uh, John has written this book so that you might have faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing in his name, you might have eternal life. Uh, that's the reason why John has written this gospel. And what he wants to do is work into our minds and our hearts faith as second nature, as muscle memory. He wants to confront us in each chapter of this book with a different picture of Jesus Christ, which calls forth uh, faith in our own hearts. And, and so uh, you will find in this text uh, that that's the purpose of John in telling this story, is that he might direct us towards faith in Jesus Christ, that by believing that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, we'd have eternal life in his name. Uh, now, it's important to consider, and I think this is a good opportunity for us to do this, is what is faith? Uh, what does it look like? Uh, how can it be counterfeited? What is a false faith and a true faith? Uh, what does faith produce in our lives? Uh, these are the things that John is uh, confronting us with in this text. And so what I want to do uh, in our time together this morning is just highlight three aspects of uh, saving faith that I think uh, we see in this story. The first thing we want to see is that John uh, impresses upon us the need for a sincere faith. Now look at the beginning of this narrative where we are confronted with an apparent contradiction between verse 44 and verse 45. Look at that with me again. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. On the one hand, Jesus that a, testifies that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Uh, he, he's saying that simply, that the, a prophet, when he comes to his own hometown, uh, they discredit his message. And it isn't just because they had grown up in that region, uh, but they had become accustomed to the message of that prophet. They, they were, those words of that prophet were falling on deaf ears, so there was really no honor for a prophet in his own hometown. Uh, but then you notice it says that he came to Galilee, and the Galileans welcomed him. Now, as some would say, well, this isn't technically Jesus' hometown, it's Nazareth, but if you know your map well enough that uh, Nazareth is in Galilee. And so, of course, uh, there is a, some kind of uh, apparent contradiction in these two verses, and some will come along and say, well, uh, this is just proof that the Bible is unreliable. Look, Here's a contradiction from verse 44 to verse 45. A prophet's not honored, but here you see Jesus uh, being honored in his own home uh, town. Uh, but if we were just to give John the benefit of the doubt here and understand that I, I think he's intelligent enough to know that you can't just contradict yourself one sentence after the other. Uh, usually, I mean, if we just give him the benefit of the doubt for a moment, I don't think John is contradicting himself. I think he's bringing out a point. A very important point. Uh, so what's the point that's being made here? Well, to get at it, 
Notice the source of their welcome. And they welcomed him because they had seen the signs that he had done. It was not the words that drew interest. Uh, No, it was the signs. It was the miracle of turning uh, the water into wine back in John 2 at the wedding in Cana uh, that had gained their attention. Uh, So you find these Galileans, they, they honored, in a way, the miracle worker. Christ. Uh, but what they don't do is they, they don't honor the prophet Christ, the prophetic Christ. Uh, what they wanted was a show and not the Savior. Uh, what they wanted was the sign, not the si- thing signified. Uh, what they wanted was a sensation, not a salvation. Uh, in other words, uh, they wanted one, uh, the, the works of wonder, not the word itself. And therefore, down in verse 48, Jesus says, and you'll notice that it's in the plural, unless you all, referring to these people, see signs and wonders, you will not believe. You know, this is something that Jesus, of course, understands. Uh, going back to John 2, at the end of chapter 2, he knows the hearts of men, and he doesn't need anyone to testify him to him uh, what's in the hearts of men. And what Jesus diagnoses, uh, what Jesus understands about this people, is that they were in it for the stimulating spiritual experience. Uh, this is a, a truth that we often see in Jesus' ministry. You can think about John chapter 6, Uh, just a few chapters from now, uh, we will see the same types of people coming and and professing such enthusiasm about Christ. And then when the prophet speaks a few hard words, they abandon him immediately. Uh, What's that all about? Uh, What's going on here? Uh, This is the kind of shallow welcome that lacks true honor for Christ. And, and, and this kind of shallow welcome that we see in these Galileans is what you often see in the world today. I remember a few years ago I had visited a church and uh, the whole theme of the service was based on what miracle do you need today? And so the pastor opened up by saying, we all need a miracle. What is the miracle that you need? Do you have a broken relationship? Come to Jesus. He can provide you a miracle for that. If you're, are you financially bankrupt? Well, that's the miracle that you need. Well, come to Jesus and you will find every miracle that you can possibly want and ask for. Jesus is here to give it to you. Oh, what we see in the scriptures is that there are many motivations for giving Christ a shallow welcome. Uh, But there is, in all reality, only one motivation that truly honors Christ as the prophet. And that's sincere faith in his word of promise. That's a listening ear saying, Jesus, what do you have to say to me? Uh, There are many people who will gladly Welcome Jesus for the temporary gifts he can give, a community, a boost in self-confidence, a rubber stamp on everything that we care about in life. Uh, But that shallow welcome turns cold often, doesn't it? 
when, the, when Christ speaks those hard sayings that we find throughout the Gospels. And I wonder if Christ was to come to your home this afternoon, would he find that sort of welcome? Just a shallow welcome. What can I gain from you? Or would he find true honor, a listening ear for the words of this prophet that the Lord had sent from on high? Well, the spiritual diagnosis of those who seek after signs, they lack sincerity in their faith. Uh, But John is quick to contrast that lack of sincerity with with true sincerity. And he he uses uh, this official, this faith of this noble man as that kind of contrast of a sincere faith, a faith that is needy, uh, that truly needs Christ. And that's the second element I want you to see in this text is uh, how John directs us to a needy faith, a faith that needs Christ as Savior. A couple years ago, there was a a gut-wrenching story that was published by several news outlets uh, about a family in the UK who uh, had a child who was dying of a a severe epilepsy. Uh, You might uh, be familiar with the story, but that child was kept alive for uh, something like a year by artificial uh, ventilation. And the doctors had decided at the end of this year that it was time to pull the plug. Uh, that that child's life uh, was no longer worth trying to save. And, and so, of course, you can imagine the parents uh, tried to go to the local courts in the UK to get some kind of injunction to allow this child to be transferred to Italy for an experimental uh, procedure. Uh, but the courts denied it. And so then this family went and appealed it to even higher courts, and those courts denied it. And then you even saw that this family was going on different news outlets, pleading their case, trying to save their little child. And you can understand, of course, that sense of desperation that a parent will have for a child that a parent will have for a suffering child, that uh, there's nothing that you won't do to save that child. And certainly this is something that the nobleman, this official, could relate to, as you see in verse 46 and 47. So he came, speaking of Jesus, again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Uh, So here you have an official, likely an official in the service of King Herod, who had all of the resources of his kingdom likely at his disposal. Uh, He's likely a wealthy man. He's likely a man in the upper ranks of society. And yet he's still afflicted with the most uh, painful affliction that any parent could have, the prospect of losing a baby boy. Uh, It's the gut-wrenching prospect of losing a child. And one old commentator said uh, on this passage, as some crosses drive men to Christ, especially those crosses in our children, and this was the cross that subdued Egypt. And to great men such as this ruler, who have much to leave to their children, this cross is the greatest. And so the looming death of his child uh, was that affliction 
that drove him to seek out an obscure miracle worker in Galilee of all people. Uh, Certainly his uh, desperation uh, would have caused him to plead with Jesus, I I hear that you were the one that turned water into wine. Jesus, uh, please heal my baby boy. Uh, But Jesus stops him. It's quite fascinating. He inserts this hard word to this man in verse 48. Notice what he says. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And at one level, of course, as I mentioned earlier, he's dealing with the crowds that were there just for a sensation, just for the show, thinking, of course Jesus can't turn away this man. Uh, Of course he's not gonna let his suffering go unnoticed. We're gonna see some kind of amazing miracle. and Jesus, of course, is, is turning that down. But what is he doing to this official? What is his purpose with this hard word? What is it but to draw out his faith, to show his need for Christ? And that's oftentimes what the Lord does with suffering in our lives. It's that pain, it's that affliction, It's that trial or tribulation that drives us to Christ, knowing that we don't have the resources in ourselves, and that our need compels us to go to the one who possesses all things. And so that's what Jesus is drawing out of this man, saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But don't you love the persistence of this man? Look at verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. That's such a sincere need. Jesus, my son is about to die. Come down. Heal him. It's it's a simple prayer. I mean, you can't take this as a prayer. He's speaking to the God of the universe. And he's just uttering his need, laying it out before Jesus, saying, Sir, come down. Heal my child. He's about to die. And we see that sometimes the mightiest of prayers are the shortest of prayers. At my uh, church in Texas, we'll often have uh, prayer meetings and we uh, talk about how our prayers should look. And we uh, tend to say that our prayers should be bold, they should be brief, they should be biblical. And I think that's what you have in this prayer. You have a bold prayer by this man. Sir, come down. It's almost... Audacious, he's commanding Jesus, sir, come down. It's brief, it's only seven words. Some, sir, come down, my child is about to die. And then, of course, since it's in the Bible, it's biblical. But what a a, a prayer that we have here. A short but mighty prayer, a prayer that does not rely upon eloquence or uh, manipulation not trying to bind Jesus to do uh, what he needs him to do. No, he simply lays out his request. Sir, come down. My child is about to die. So John has introduced us to our need of having a sincere faith and a needy faith. But finally, as we see in this text, he shows us the need for a growing faith. I heard a story recently from a minister uh, about a member in his congregation who had an acronym all throughout his Bible that you could find on almost every page. 
uh, throughout his Bible, you would find in the margins where it'd say TNT. Now, maybe the song is popping into your minds at this time, but uh, TNT. And, and so this, this, this pastor asks the member, okay, what, it's on almost every page. What does this mean? Uh, what is this whole business about TNT? And you can appreciate the simplicity of this ordinary church member. He was a Southerner, and he said, TNT, tried and true. I said, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I tried it, and I found it to be true. And, and I hope you understand the beauty of the Christian life, that generally the more you try Jesus Christ, the more you lean on him by faith, the more you find him uh, to be true. The more you stand upon his promises, the more steadfast he becomes for you. And this is a, a truth that this official grows in as he takes Jesus at his words. I glance down to verse 50. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. What an answer to prayer. He asked Jesus to come down, and all Jesus had to say was, Go, your son will live. No need to stick around here, official. Your son is alive. He is well. Go see your son at home. But what words of comfort that this official hears from Jesus Christ, words that he would not have heard from any doctor that was befuddled by the condition of his son. Your son will live. And all that it then says is that the man's response is that he believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. He tried Jesus. And what you'll find is that he found him to be wholly true. Now look with me again at verse 51. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And so the good news comes by way of his servants. But what I love the most about this official, this nobleman, is that he asks, he asks, what time did he get better? Now the official already knows that. He knows that it was exactly when Jesus said, go, your son will live. But he wants to have his faith strengthened, I think, encouraged, emboldened, because he knew that when he would hear that servant say the exact time when Jesus uttered those words, his faith was just going to explode, that he was going to be strengthened, that he would be encouraged, he knew that his heart would be strangely warmed by the reliability of the word of promise. And I wonder if you have ever strengthened yourself by Christ's promise this way. You've stored up answers to prayer in your own heart and so that you can say confidently, I have tried him and I have found him true. I think there's something wonderful about that. Simply just asking the question, confirming so that there is never a, a fraction of a doubt that the Lord Jesus Christ did this, and that it wasn't coincidence, it wasn't mere happenstance, but this was the sovereign power of the Lord Jesus Christ.
Well, then look at verse 53 and 54. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. When the father found that Jesus' word was true, it says he himself believed. It's kind of interesting how many times it talks about belief uh, here at the end of the passage. Uh, because it said when G in verse 50, when Jesus says that your son will live, it says that the man believed Jesus' word. But then you find him come home, and it says, and he himself believed. His faith is growing. Well, what's it growing in? I think, uh, yes, he believed Christ, that he would heal his son, and that he would trust this obscure miracle worker in Galilee. But I think uh, what he went to Jesus Christ looking for, he came home with something entirely different. And he went to Christ with a need, but then he goes home with the Savior. He was simply looking for a miracle, and a true need was driving him that direction. But then he finds Jesus to be more than he can imagine. This is the Son of God, who with a word can bring life out of death. A simple word, just one little word, is all it takes. And so uh, there is something far greater than just a miracle worker, is what this official understands. And so it says, he himself believed. Uh, but you'll notice uh, that it's not just the official that believes. It says that his whole household believes. Uh, what a legacy that this father can pass on to his household. Now, this is why it says that his whole household believed because you can imagine that this father is going around the house and proclaiming to his children, to his servants, whoever is involved in that house. Look what Jesus Christ of Nazareth has done for my baby boy. And look what he's done. I went with no hope, but now I have found the Savior of sinners. I found the one who has power over life and death. And so he is proclaiming the faithfulness of this Savior to his children and to his family, uh, something that they surely would have known nothing about. And parents, I hope you know the significance of your faithful discipleship to your children. What better thing can you pass on to your children that you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have found him true every step of the way. What a legacy to pass on to your children. What a delight for your children to look at your life and see God has been faithful to them, and he will be faithful to me as well. Well, as we begin to close, I want to be like John and draw your attention to uh, three more lessons uh, that I think are here in this text about true saving faith uh, that you won't want to miss. And the first thing I want you to see as we uh, come to a close is that true faith seeks the Savior. You know, in, in the old monasteries, the first thing aspiring monastics will, would see when they're entering the gates was the question, uh, what do you seek? 
And Jesus asked this question of the crowds that followed him. What did you go out into the wilderness to seek? Did you uh, go to see a reed shaken in the wind? Or did you go to see a man dressed in soft clothing? And this is, I think, the question that is before you today from this text. What do you seek? What are you here for? Are you here for a show? Are you here for an eloquent delivery? Are you here for the Savior? Well, the official sought out Jesus as the only one who could give him what he needed, and yet he found him to be more than he could ever ask or imagine. He found the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who deals with the greatest illness of all mankind, the illness of sin, who gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ is that great physician of our souls. And so if you haven't come to him yet, uh, you won't find rest for your soul and eternal life uh, by any other name. Uh, Your greatest need is this Savior who can heal you completely. So true faith seeks the Savior, but true faith is also satisfied with the Word of God. The crowds, as you see in this text, follow Jesus for his signs and wonders. You get this picture of the Galileans that they were in it for the sensation, the show. Uh, But if you were to just flip a few verses back uh, to verse 41 when uh, John is commenting about the Samaritans, uh, these kind of religious half-breeds that were uh, not really pure or true to the, uh, the faith of the Old Testament. And it says when Jesus had ministered among them, and especially speaking to the women at the well, it says in verse 41 that many more believed because of his word. And I think that's an important emphasis. It's an important uh, contrast between the Samaritans and the Galileans. You see, those who are in it for the show, their faith will leave as quickly as it comes in. Uh, But those who believe on the basis of Christ's word build on a sure foundation. They build on the rock, uh, which is uh, Jesus Christ. And that's the real meaning of what John is saying here in verse 24 when he said that this was a sign. Now, the Lord Jesus doesn't put on any performance here. Uh, He doesn't do any kind of magic trick. He doesn't put on any kind of demonstration for the people to behold. No, all that consists in this miracle was a simple word. Go, your son will live. And this is the power of Christ's word. And he has given you the same power in the scriptures. With one simple word, God called forth the earth and the heavens. With one simple word, come forth, he regenerates the souls of unbelievers. With one simple word, the God of this universe will call all things to an end, and we will all be summoned before the judgment seat of Christ. One simple word is all it takes. So true faith seeks the Savior, but true faith is also satisfied with the word of eternal life. Uh, But then lastly, I want you to see that true faith shall turn to sight. You know, you get this picture of of this man growing in his faith, and and it's a beautiful picture. Uh, It's a picture that I think ultimately 
that points to glory. There was a time uh, just this last summer where I was reading quite faithfully uh, a Scottish minister and theologian uh, in the 18th century by the name of Thomas Boston and his uh, pastoral memoirs, his autobiography. Uh, and it's a wonderful read, and I commend that to you. But uh, I think my favorite uh, story in the book was really uh, not something that uh, Boston actually said. He was just recording uh, something about one of his ruling elders. So one of his ruling elders was uh, on his deathbed, was just a few days from death, and Boston goes to visit him. And he records of the, the whole encounter this, and I'll read it, it's quite short. On Thursday, death approached him fast, and he died that day. His brother saw him alive, but unable to speak. And he was buried on the Friday afternoon. He died in hopes of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Among his last words were, Farewell, sun, moon, and stars. Farewell, dear minister. And farewell, the Bible. And that's quite a, a thought-provoking statement there, isn't it? Farewell, the Bible. Farewell, the Word of God. But don't you understand a sentiment of his faith? That that faith will turn to sight. And that we don't need this written text any longer because we will behold the Lamb in all of his glory, face to face, for all eternity. And, and that's a picture of glory, of eternity, is that our faith is growing to such an extent that it just turns to mere sight. And so what a wonderful day that will be when we stand in glory before the one who did save us, who did cleanse us, and who did bring us all the way home. But now we look to him in faith, and we look to him in trust, knowing that he will safely bring us home. Let's pray. And Father, we do thank you for a wonderful and merciful Savior, Jesus Christ, who does look upon us in our low state and pities us, who is gentle and lowly in spirit and shows great patience towards us in our sins. Lord, we ask that you would grow us in our faith from one degree of glory to the next. And may we set our eyes upon Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank mm -hmm.